morning, ZPC. You know, when people ask me, what is your least favorite Sunday to preach? Which actually no one has ever asked me that, but if they would ask me that, I would tell them it was this Sunday. I do not enjoy preaching this Sunday because of the fact that everyone is so tired, you know, and I I don't even try to attempt to have any kind of sense of humor at all because people just look at you like, just, just try. Try to make us laugh. But I am impressed that you all are here, so thank you for being here this morning. I know it's hard when it's an hour earlier than what you're used to uh, getting up, but kudos to you. You get extra credit for being here uh, this morning. And I know the reason you're here, of course, is because you want to keep hearing more about what's going on with Jacob, right? That's very lively for you guys. Maybe we should start having the service at 8 o'clock. This is even more exciting than usual, really. No? Okay. Well, we are continuing our look um, at the uh, book of Genesis and at the story of Jacob. We have this week and then next week, and then we're done, which is kind of disappointing to me. But after that, of course, we have Palm Sunday and then Easter. So those are, uh, of course, things that we are all looking forward to. So this morning, we are looking at Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 through 15. And so I invite you to hear These words. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and settle there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come. Let us go to Bethel, that I may make an altar there to the God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak that was near Shechem. As they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob came to Luz, that is, Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel, so it was called Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob. I'm sorry, your name is, there you go, is Jacob. I thought I had misread. No longer shall you be called, it's also early for your preacher. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And so he was called Israel. God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall spring from you. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had spoken with him. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we come to you early this morning. 
We come to you with joy and with thanksgiving for the ways in which you have been with us. We know, God, that we are not always a people who worship you as we should. We are so often deceived, so often tempted to turn our attention and our love elsewhere. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning, that you would challenge us, that you would enlighten us, that you would give us wisdom. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. And so in some ways, uh, this particular passage today feels a little bit like hitting the pause button. There's not a lot of action, at least not like we had, say, last week. Last week, of course, was kind of the, the, the apex of the story in many ways. You had all of the wonderings, what's going to happen all throughout, uh, all throughout the series with Jacob and Esau. And finally, last week, finally they are reconciled. And so there's the excitement of that. And then this week, all of a sudden then, well, there's not a whole lot happening. In fact, in some ways, it almost just seems like kind of a, a rehashing of what we've already talked about. There's going back to to Bethel again. There's this strange thing of, of uh, God calling Jacob Israel yet again. And, and there's also this kind of odd uh, part of the passage, this little insert there about Rebecca's nurse. I don't know if you heard that, but Rebecca's nurse passed away, which is what makes it actually really strange is that we've never heard anything else about Rebecca. You don't ever know when did Jacob's mother actually die. So why would we talk about when Rebecca's nurse died? And some have suggested that actually perhaps what's happening is that just as Rebecca said long before that she would take the curse upon her for what was happening when she helped Jacob to fleece her husband, his father, that perhaps she has received what is maybe the greatest curse, which is simply the curse of having been forgotten. It's hard to know, so we won't spend much time on that aspect of it, but as I wrestled with kind of understanding what do we do with this passage today, one of the things that I was reminded of is what we talked about last week. Last week, you may recall, if you were here, we, we talked about the, the journey, the process, the, how long it takes for us to really grow in faith, that it really does take a while for us to genuinely worship God. We talked about uh, Jacob and how in some ways he seemed transformed after his experience with God. He, he seemed changed, and yet in other ways he did not seem like he was changed. And so the reality of the fact that this takes a while, this journey of faith for understanding who God is, for understanding who we are when it comes to God and the child of God, that these things take time. And there's a lot of reasons why these things take time. But one of those reasons, and it seems that perhaps Jacob understands this, is because of the fact that we so easily begin to worship other gods. Right? Jacob seems to realize how easily we worship other gods. Now in that day and age, oftentimes they were actual kind of images of gods, which is why then Jacob says we're going to go, and, and the NRSV says they're going to hide them next to the oak in Shechem, but, but literally it probably more means that they're going to bury them. So they, they, they dug in and they, they bury those gods, right? which is this great imagery of what we should do with foreign gods. It's wonderful, except for one 
one thing. It's a bit more, it seems to me, like, like when a dog buries a bone. You know, a dog goes out, he buries a bone, and then when no one is looking, what does a dog do? Yeah, it goes back there and digs it up, right? This is oftentimes what happens with gods. In fact, maybe it's even more accurate to say that the bone would be able to kind of get itself out of the ground because gods easily come back and find us, it seems. Right? And gods, what, what, what makes these foreign gods so difficult is the fact that they can take on so many different kinds of forms. Martin Luther says that a god is really anything that kind of can cling to your heart, anything that your heart clings to. And others have said that gods are anything um, that we fear, love, and trust more than we fear, love, or trust God. Someone else has said that, that a God is basically anything that gives you a promise of the good life, of the good life that so often may be countered to the kingdom of God. They can be almost anything. One of the interesting things about this particular passage is, and I don't know how many of you caught it, so I'm going to ask you this question. They buried gods. What else did they bury? Earrings. Now, isn't that kind of strange? Until you begin to realize that most of the earrings would have been made of gold. And what can you do with gold? You can melt gold. And then you can do what with that? You can make it into a God, right? The Israelites did that clearly, right? You may remember that story. And so this is great kind of image that anything, even things that are beautiful and wonderful and good, anything can become a God in our life. So this week I, I sent an email out to the staff and I asked them if they would send me some pictures of things that they sometimes wrestle with becoming gods in their lives, right? So they sent me a few of these pictures. We can see one here, right? Time, right? How often do we allow time and our schedule to become our God so that we sometimes then don't even pay attention to God? We can't even see God. We talked about that with Jacob, right? Oftentimes God revealed himself to Jacob, not when he's kind of doing something busy, but when he finally stopped, Right? That clocks can oftentimes become our gods. What else? We also see here our homes sometimes can become our gods. Right? They have this sense of giving us an image of, uh, of the good life, if you will. And if we have a nice home, if we work on it hard enough, because this gives us some sense of real purpose, right? Then you see like the kitchen, right? I mean, nowadays with HGTV, right, we're spending so much time trying to see, oh, if we just had this, then we would be happy. Anytime you have to have one thing other than God to say then you will be happy, it has become a foreign God, right? Let's see here. What else do we have? Instagram, right? This was someone who sent out the Instagram, the fact of how much time and energy do we spend. And the more time and energy you spend with something, the more likely you are for that to become a God in your life, right? Next, I think we have kind of exercising or even our bodies, if you will. Sometimes we can become so fixated on those things. We get such purpose and such sense. And if we, are, if we keep thinking, if we have just the perfect body, then, then finally will people will notice us. Then we'll matter, right? Other things. Let's see here. Oh, this wasn't mine, 
But sometimes, surely, our building, right, especially sanctuaries, especially church buildings, right, sometimes people will fight over things that happen to the church building, and they'll forget that that's not actually as important as God, capital G, right? All these things. All right, let's see what's next here. Television. This is a great little picture that someone sent me, right? Television, right? I mean, I love how close they are. You know what? This This is a posture of worship. Right? How much time do we spend? How easily do we get distracted and begin to look at what's on television? Okay. And this last one here, I think it is, these Apple products. Right? You know who you are, right? This, this kind of fixation with technology. Now, there are others who didn't want to send a picture and for understandable reasons because the things that they said were things like, we worship ourselves sometimes. We want to be in control. And when you have the sense of you have to be in control and you can't trust God, you've got to figure everything out, then you have become a God, right? Someone else suggested, and they clearly didn't want to send pictures of this, their children, right? Their children, how easily our children can become our gods. And maybe we're super worried about them all the time. And so we, we just put all of our attention. Or I find that there's this fine line between loving our children and worshiping them. And finding our sense of purpose and mission in our children. And that's the most important thing. And so we begin to build them up. And if something bad happens, you can just, you see people's reactions to that, right? Because they have made their children their gods, right? And now you may be thinking, oh, this is just kind of Jesus talk. This is Christian-y. And, you know, we don't really make idols out of these things. We don't really worship these things. And if you're saying that, I'm good. Because one of the things that I read this week was this article in Digital Trends, which Digital Trends, I don't know if you know this or not, it's not a Christian publication. But it was talked about Facebook some, and then it talked about Apple, and it said this. It said, research has shown that Apple products are triggering the same bits of people's brains as religious imagery triggers in a person of faith. It easily, all of these things easily becomes, think, become things that we start to worship. Now, here's the thing. The problem and the reason why we so often struggle, it seems to me, with worshiping all of these other foreign gods rather than the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is because far too many of us overestimate the power of our brains to overcome those things. The power of our brains to transform the way that we think and act and worship. This is kind of a Western thing, I think, by and large. But what we tend to think that we are so smart, we're so headstrong, that we can surely change what we do, what we say, how we think, by just thinking about it hard enough. And yet research again and again shows that that is not true. More often than not, we are changed or transformed not by our thoughts, but by our feelings. Right? And so we think, okay, we're going to, you know what? We, oh, that's, that's right. We need to worship God and only God. We need to get rid of these foreign gods. I will think about it hard enough. And then we go out and we turn on the radio and there's some kind of advertisement that is kind of the saying, oh, well, now that's kind of interesting. Let's think about that. Or we turn on the television and they have an image of the good life that may not be the good life, but is a pretty cool life. And we begin to focus on that and our hearts begin to get drawn. Or we go around and we begin to talk to people and we have this kind of sense of peer pressure, if you will, or just 
the way the world around us is. And before you know it, we've completely forgotten what it is that we were supposed to be worshiping. There's this immense kind of power, if you will, of our feelings. And one of the things that, as I get older, I, I, I realize is that I don't want us to be a congregation that simply knows the right words to say or believes that if you can think it, all of a sudden you will be transformed. I want us to be a people who are genuinely transformed. And the more that I think about that, the more I realize it is going to take more than just us thinking or knowing what to say. And I think in many ways, this is exactly what we see happening in this particular passage. It is showing us other ways that we are actually changed. And in this particular situation, changed so that we begin to worship the true God and not our own foreign gods that so often are tempting. So what are those things? One of those is repetition. Repetition does a remarkable job of forming us, much more than just trying to think about something. So what happens in this passage? Where does Jacob go? Jacob goes to Bethany, and he's already been to Bethany, right? In fact, God said, you've already been to Bethany. You may remember Bethany, Jacob, it's because it's where I met you for the first time, kind of in that kind of way. And, 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 and Jacob will remember Bethany. So he goes back to Bethany. And when he goes back to Bethany, he, of course, remembers that he had met God there, Jacob's ladder, as you may recall, but the promises that God had made to him, right? That it was important, though, for him to go back to the same place he had been before. Repetition. What else do we see repetitive here. Of course, the renaming of Jacob to Israel again, right? What does God have amnesia? No, I don't think God has amnesia. I think just as we talked about last week, we forget who God is and we forget who we are. So we have to keep being reminded, right? Throughout the Old Testament, what does God say? Remember, do not forget. Remember, this is ways to being ways of being repetitious, if you will. Now you may be saying, well, how does that really, that, that doesn't really form us. So here, let me, let me give you a word. This is a town that is north-northwest of here, and it's spelled like this, L-E-B-A-N-O-N. Now, for nearly 40 years of my life, that spelled Lebanon. But when I came here, and I said something about, oh, is that near Lebanon? People looked at me like I was a moron. And so what happened? They said, oh, you mean Lebanon? No, I meant Lebanon, but okay, Lebanon. And then I would hear it on the news, or someone else would say Lebanon, and then they'd say Lebanon, and I'd say, and they'd say Lebanon, and then they would say Lebanon. I had been formed for 39 years in one way. And so now what happens is I go outside of the state of Indiana and someone's talking about the Middle East and I say something about Syria and Lebanon and they think I'm a moron. <laughs> now how was I able to make that change? This wasn't something I just kept thinking to myself, Lebanon, Lebanon. No, I was formed almost subconsciously because people around me kept saying, Lebanon. Right? And so that began to form me in a different way. Repetition forms us in a different way. Right? If we're going to figure out how, how do we worship God, something has to be in our life that gives us that repetition. 
right? Something else, though, that we see, another way that we are formed differently is by engaging in some kind of practice. And oftentimes what this means is some kind of physical practice, you know, that may use many of our senses, right? So we see here in the story of Jacob, what do they do? Jacob doesn't say, okay, guys, stop thinking about those foreign gods. Just, just stop. No, they go and he buries them, right? And so there's a physical practice of actually doing something. There's the sound. You guys know the sound of kind of crunching of dirt, if you will. Maybe a wind goes by and so some of the dirt goes into your mouth and you, you taste that. And, and, and you, you know that, that, that sense of what that is. It's a very physical act, Right? And there you are, and you're kind of engaging in that physical act. Or, or maybe then, you know, when they go to Bethel and they put up the pillar, you guys have heard sounds of the stones. You know, if I just say, okay, be quiet and think about, what does it sound like? Rock going on top of rock. You know that sound, right? It's a very, it's a, it's a very audible sound. When he pours the oil, maybe there are the smells that kind of blow in the wind and go through people's noses. All of these things are much more than Jacob just saying, okay, you know what, just worship the real God. Stop thinking about those other gods. It's not good enough. And so he, you have to engage in kind of practices. Those form us. Now you may be saying, oh, that doesn't really form us. That's ridiculous. Well, I'll tell you this. When I, wa- I worked at a retail store for a couple of years inside the mall, and every few hours we would go out into the little entryway of the mall, of, the, of where our store was, and we would spray cologne. You know why we did that? Not because we were trying to waste cologne, but because it... it People's attentions begin to be drawn in. They like the smell. It reminds them of something. Or they say, boy, that sounds like, that smells like something I would want, right? I would desire. And so then they would walk into the store, right? Or what about, what about iPhones, right? Think about iPhones. So, so again, if we worship these things, right, this is the way an iPhone typically looks, right? And people are talking a lot more now about addictions to iPhones, what I call worshiping our iPhones, right? And so one of the things about this is what they've discovered is what draws you in. Guess what draws you into that? The colors, so there's something now, maybe you've seen this called grayscaling. And you can go onto your phone and you do this. And it grayscales your phone, which they have discovered, research has, means that you spend much less time on your phone. Why? Because they simply took away the color, the brightness that would draw you into it. Right? We think that we're so smart. Oh, you know what? We don't, if I don't want to look at my phone, I won't look at my phone. But we hear those dings and we get excited. We see the bright colors. We're like children. Let's be honest. And we think, oh, I wonder what that is. Right? Those kinds of things. These things form us. You can't just say, okay, I don't want to be on my iPhone anymore. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put that aside. No, no, no. You have to do things, it seems to me, to really be formed differently, right? Does this make sense? So when we're talking about what does it mean to worship God, we have to think about all these different ways to be formed differently. The final way, of course, is kind of in community. You may notice that this is the first time, it seems like, in this whole story of Jacob, where Jacob is actually has other people with him when it comes to God. Before, again, he's Jacob's ladder, he's all by himself. Or before, of course, you know, um, uh, he's wrestling with God after he'd sent everybody out. But this time, what does he say? He says, okay, all of us, we're going to purify ourselves. All of us are going to put on new clothes. All of us are going to bury our gods. All of us are going to go to Bethel. Right? Transformation almost always occurs in community. Right? So when it, 
when Megan and I, whenever we eat, our, eat at our healthiest and, and exercise the most, it is always when both of us are on board. When there is only one of us, that's usually her, it's very difficult, right, to continue because we most often are not transformed. We can't make changes in solitude. The vast majority of us cannot do that alone. It takes community. It takes others who can encourage us and challenge us because typically one person will be down, the other person will be up. Sometimes maybe one person will be, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping God well right now. The other person may not be. We need one another to be able to help us to do this. And so what we see then in this story is we see a people who are grappling with, how do we do more than just say, yes, we need to worship God, yes, Yahweh, we need to worship God, put away these foreign gods, let's stop thinking about them, and, and are actually doing it, actually being changed. So as I was thinking about that, I was trying to figure out, well, what does that look like then for us? What are the things that we can do more than just kind of me being here and you guys saying, okay, sure, let's go worship God. What are the things that we do to try to shape us into being a people who worship the true God and who are not as easily distracted by the foreign gods that are always around us and, quite frankly, inside of us? Well, the first one I came up with, I only came up with two. The first, well, there's many, but I only wanted to talk about two, is, is very obvious. Okay? And that is regular weekly worship, and I would suggest like what we have here. Now, I was somewhat uh, reticent to say that for, for three reasons. One, because it was so obvious. Two, because I realized that in doing this, sometimes I can make people feel guilty. Like, well, I'm sorry, we don't come every week. You, you know, you don't like us, so we'll just go somewhere else. Or, or three, it can sometimes seem kind of self-serving, right? Like, well, you know, all Jerry really wants is just more people here so that he can preach. You know, he's kind of a megalomaniac and he wants more and more people here, Right? So, look, I am not trying to make you feel guilty, and there's only just a part of me that wants more people here, okay? So, but it does seem to me that coming weekly is critical. In fact, uh, Garrison Keillor um, has this quote um, that I liked. It says, Sunday feels odd without church in the morning. It's the time in the week when we take our bearings, and if we miss it, we are just following our noses. What I like about that sense is we take our bearings. Here's how I would say that, where we readjust and we say, oh wait, I have been worshiping some other gods this week. Let me take in this time, let me kind of adjust and remember and worship God. Right? And so that's what we do here then, right? We, we come in. Uh, Eugene Peterson says there is something about the pattern, just like the creation, the rhythm of creation, where every seven days you gather together and you worship. So we, we come here, we come together every single week, right? And we gather and we sing and we hear the word read and we, we hear the word proclaimed. And there is something about that repetition. Uh, there's something that I say, I don't do this weekly, I do this monthly. But there is something, it seems to me, that important when the table is set up here one of the things I like to do is I like to repeat myself and I say with great frequency that access to this table is not a right conferred upon the worthy but is a privilege given to the undeserving and the reason why I say that is because far too many of us worship a foreign god that says that you can have access to God only when you are perfect and you have everything pulled together 
And what I want you to know is in those moments, and I think this happens in those moments when you are struggling and you think, well, I'm not sure I'm really ready. I don't know. But throughout the week, and and I'm not being perfect enough for God. God probably turned his back on me. I want you to say, what? What is it that Pastor Jerry, what does he say? Access to the table is not a right conferred upon the worthy, but is a privilege given to the undeserving. Lebanon, Lebanon. Frequency of saying, okay, I don't feel like that's who I am, but I remember these words. Why? Because I've heard them again and again and again. Repetition forms us differently. And then I would also suggest, of course, how we worship with all of our bodies. Again, we are a physical people. We aren't just brains. We're not just walking around brains, right? We're a physical people. That's why we want you to sing. That's why this isn't a concert. We want you to sing. Why? Because the act of singing is the act of formation. You are doing something in that, right? I love for it when you walk down here for communion because you are moving your body. Next couple of weeks at the 1030 service, sorry, but we're going to have a baptism. I don't know if you can hear this, but here's what I do. Without trying to appear like I'm a magician and with making sure that I always hear the font or that I hit it because it's embarrassing if you miss, I, I always try to do it as high as I can. And I do that because I want you to hear it. Let's see. I don't. Because I want you to hear that noise so that when you are at your kitchen sink or when you're running a bath, or whatever it is that you may be doing, when you hear that noise, you are remembering baptism. You are remembering the true God in whom you have been baptized. We are a physical people, and we need to engage in those kinds of acts. And then, of course, it's communal. I mean, this is clearly very communal, and I want you to know this is very important because we, we have a cert- there's a certain amount of danger, it seems to me, in the church right now which is this, which is to say, I heard the sermon on the podcast, therefore I have been to church. Now, I'll be careful. We have something that you can listen to. I know that everybody can't be here every week. I think it's great that you listen to it. But I also want you to know that simply listening to a sermon, I don't care how good of a sermon it is, you can download it from the greatest preacher in all the world. I realize that is not me. But you can download it from the greatest preacher. I want you to know it will not, more often than not, lead to actual transformation. When we met with the focus group that I talked about last week, one of the things that someone said, I love this, is she said, I love coming here every week because I learn from other people. Right? Not just from me. I pray to God, not just from me, but from other people. Right? That is church, is coming in and listening to other people and learning. That is, again, that is how so often how we are actually changed. Right? How do we learn how to worship and genuinely worship God? Do more than just give lip service to it. Now, there was one other thing that I thought about that's a little bit odd, and I realize. But I think another thing that we can do beyond just kind of weekly worship when it comes to genuinely being transformed and worshiping the one true God is to engage in some kind of burial practice with great repetition. And as I thought about that, I had one example that kept coming up in my head. And it's this. Give it a moment. So this is my Volkswagen Jetta. 
I've talked about this some in the past. This is uh, in our family, affectionately known as high-ho silver. The girls love riding in high-ho silver. It feels like it goes very fast. It doesn't have anything to do with me going fast in it. I'm sure of it. It's just because it feels like it because it's lower to the ground. Anyways, so when I bought this thing, brand new, in October of 2002, man, this thing was sweet. I, you could probably say that I worshipped this thing. I loved it. When Megan first met me, this car was not very old, and she, I'm pretty sure it's what sealed the deal. I mean, she loved this. If you've ever wondered why would Megan marry Jerry, this is probably it, right? It was great. I'm sure I worshipped it in some way. I, I loved it. But i got to be honest with you, the years have taken their toll on this machine. Right? And so I, I took some pictures of it, right? Here's some kind of rust uh, that is growing on there. Uh, this next slide you can see here. Uh, this is where, um, I, I won't say who it was, but it was Megan who tried to jack up the car after having a flat and didn't quite put the jack at the right place. And uh, so it kind of looks like, uh, you know, some tiger kind of had at it, right? Um, the air conditioning went out probably eight, nine years ago now. There's no air conditioning. There's no way to really fix that. Now, one of the things, though, about the car, you can only know if you're inside the car. And since I figured, you know what, I'm not going to bring everybody inside the car, uh, I did think I want to show you a video of one other kind of interesting thing now about my car. So let's watch this. Welcome ZPC to the inside of my Volkswagen Jetta. Now we're looking at a panel here. The panel looks fine for the most part. Yes, there's three knobs that are missing here, but those are superfluous. What I want you to see is right down here, you can see that the defrost is off, which is not a problem. Uh, and this little recirculation button is on, it's pushed. Now when you scooch this over here to defrost, all of a sudden that pops out. And it's okay, I suppose, for the recirculation to not be on. That makes sense uh, with the defrost on. But the problem is, if you look back over here, well, you see the engine light that's on, but that's always on, and really those things aren't important. But what you will also see is that the emergency brake light indicator is on, and the emergency brake is not actually on. However, whenever you turn off the recirculation button, it pops on. So if I push the recirculation button, it goes off. If I don't have that on, all of a sudden, there you go, it pops back on. Now you may be saying, well, it's just a light. What's the big deal? Well, on the Volkswagen Jetta, one of the great little features of this sweet ride is the fact that it will let you know the emergency brake is on, or at least they think it's on, which exactly means you get to listen to that noise again and again and again and again and so you need to turn this back off in order to have that recirculation button come on and the emergency brake light go off which is okay until you deal with bad weather and this is what happens you get bad weather, you get rain, everything starts to fog up, right? And so you have to drive, and so you're constantly kind of doing this, right? Which is okay, but what really gets bad is in the wintertime. You see, what happens oftentimes is I will drive to work, and I breathe, because that's typically what you do, which means inside the car there's going to be moisture. And when I go back out, guess what's on all the inside of the windshield? 
ice. So I actually, in the wintertime, use my ice scraper more on the inside of the car than I do on the outside of the car. Right? This is one of the geniuses of this car. Now, one of the few things that used to be really good about the car was that the seat warmers worked, right? Which was great. Except for about two winters ago, I kept thinking I was smelling something that smelled like it was burning, right? And then finally, I looked at my seat, and this, that's right along the coal. It's genuinely beginning to burn that out. All right, let's take, let's take that off. So, so why in the world am I talking about this? Well, I want to be very clear. There are two reasons why I am not talking One is, this is not my secret way to try to ask for a raise, okay? ZPC is generous. I am thankful. If I needed to get another car, I could get another car, okay? Nor am I showing you that in order to try to make you feel guilty, 99% of you who drive probably a little bit better car than that. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. This is not my smooth way of trying to ask you to swap cars. I mean, if you felt the spirit leading you in that, that's fine. Here's why I want you to see that. Because I want you to know that my driving that car is for me an act of burying a God. You see, for me, and I know for some others, a car very easily translates into the fact that you have made it in some way. That you are important. That you have some kind of purpose. Right? It oftentimes can give worth. And every day... Every single day, I have to go out and get into that car. And every day, I drive it. And I am reminded, I stop at a stoplight, and there is some high school kid who drives up next to me, and I look over at him or her, and 99% of the time, the car they're driving is so much nicer. And by so much nicer, I just mean like in the summertime, the windows are up, so you know they have air conditioning, you know? And so they look over at me, and my hair is like fried, and you know, and I'm sweating, right? And I look over and I think, why do they get that? Or I go to presbytery meetings and there are pastors and pastors who I know are serving smaller churches than I'm serving. And I have this little God that when I go out into my parking lot in my heart that says, why should they get to drive a nicer car? Every day I have to die in some sense to that, right? And it is full-bodied, Because when you're out there, you feel the heat in the summertime. And it stinks because there is oftentimes water that's on the floorboard. And it begins to stink because there's leaking someplace. And you smell it. And the sounds, you can hear it. Something's not quite right with that thing. And I want you to know it is communal. And I think it's communal because here's the thing. Whether you know it or not, I think you need me to drive that Jetta. At least for right now. Because there are some of you for whom your car has become something of a God, perhaps. And you don't, I don't want you to feel guilty when you see me driving around that Jetta. I don't want you to feel bad. I just want you to check your heart in those moments to say, how has this, has my car, has it in some way kind of given me more worth than it really should? And who am I really worshiping? Because here's the thing that you need to know. I need you. Not to drive a car like mine, by no means. I would never wish that upon you. But I need you. I I need you who decide, you know what, I'm going to stick with a flip phone. 
I'm not going to get a smartphone. I'm going to keep with a flip phone because I know how often I begin to get so drawn in that I think I cannot survive without this phone. And when I can't find it, I, my mind goes crazy. And I think, are you kidding me? Where is that phone? I can't exist. How am I going to do this? And when I see you over there texting old style on your phone, I am reminded that this is not quite as important as I once thought. I need, I need you out there, whoever you are, who, who lives in a smaller house than you need to, so that you can be more generous. Because it is with great frequency that I get so caught up in making sure that we have enough money that, that we're going to be able to retire, that I easily begin to make that my God. And when I see you, and I see what you could be doing, or where you could be going, and I know how generous you are, it begins to shape me. Right? I, need, I need you. I need the one who says, I am not going to have my children in every single possible thing that we can do because I'm going to not treat them as if they are some kind of idol. Right? I need you because so often I find much of my purpose, too much of my purpose, and my children and how they're doing and how they are going to do. I need you, the one who says, I work or I serve in dangerous places and places maybe where I am uncomfortable because I know how often I allow security to become a God for me. See, this is where we need one another. We don't need everyone driving around in a 2002 Jetta by no means, but we do need each one of us to be engaging in some burial practice. You need it for your own life. You need it for yourself, something that you can do with some repetition, something that, 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 that engages all of your senses that you know is a way of you burying something. And then we, the rest of us, need that because that helps us then to remember what is important. It stops us so that we can remember who is genuinely God. It is not easy. It is not easy to worship the one true God. These false gods are always undigging themselves and coming into our lives. We don't have to ask for it. They come into our lives. But we can't outthink them. Rather, through repetition, in community, through actual physical practice, we can be reformed. And my hope and my prayer is that this week you begin to think about your own weekly practice. What does that look like? How much of a priority is that? But that you will then also ask, what is some kind of practice? Maybe I'm already doing it. That's great. What is that? If not, what is some kind of actual practice that you can engage in that will help to reshape you? So that then together, together, sisters and brothers in Christ, we can grow in our journey of faith, of worshiping not all of the other gods who clamor for our attention and our adoration, but that we can worship together the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the God of this world. Let us bury, sisters and brothers in Christ, that we may worship. Amen.